Just a little pre-warning for our listeners that today's episode contains a little bit of swearing. Hello, I'm Ashley. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 20 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast. And we're still on our Scotland theme. We're loving it. I hope you enjoyed our bonus episode last week as well. A little um, tangent from the Scotland theme. But we are back. And today we are joined by the lovely Laura, who has brought the film Ned's to Choose Film podcast. So Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you guys for for inviting me on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about Ned's. Me too. And can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, My name's Laura McClucky. I'm originally, I was born in Glasgow and then I kind of moved to different places in Scotland. But 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, I decided to pack up and I left and uh, I've lived in South Korea for the past 10 years. And a bit about me. So I studied, I actually studied drama and media and communication and my dissertation at university, I went to Cali and my dissertation was all about Scottish film and how Scottish films are represented across the world and, you know, in the media. So you've you've got like your like tartan on speed, like steroid tartan representation or you've got transporting junkies. And so I really looked at, you know, how we've been represented in movies and was there a kind of middle ground that we could, you know, see the real Scotland? Because obviously those parts of Scotland are really real, but, you know, there's there's other things as well besides tartan and drugs. So that was <laughs> kind of what I was looking for uh, in my dissertation. And then, yeah, that's it, really. I, I work in media and broadcasting over here in Korea and recently opened my own wellness business. That's it. It's funny. I'm never the one doing it. I'm never the one being interviewed. That's so weird. It's my job to interview other people. (laughs) I love it. I love all the things you do. You sound very busy and I love that there's wellness in there as well. Amazing. Um, So I know you've dived into a little bit, but why specifically Ned's for your film on Scotland? Um, Because I've been in Korea for so long, I miss the culture. No, just kidding. Just (laughs) kidding. Um, One of the reasons that I was so into Scottish film is because I was very lucky. You know, we've all been to the Tron Theatre in Glasgow. We've all seen a show. We've all kind of hung out in the cafe hoping to meet someone famous. And I was very lucky one day when I was a a student at, at university, I saw Peter Mullen, director and actor Peter Mullen, from across the table, a couple of tables away. So I saw him and I was like, oh, I need to speak to him. I need to speak to him. I need to speak to him. No, don't. My friend was like, don't do it. I was like, I'm doing it. So I went over and I introduced myself. I told him what I was doing, told him about my dissertation. And I said, I'd love to interview you if you've ever got time. And then he was like, all right. So then he gave me his number. We chatted. We met up a number of times and he gave me an incredible interview. But not only that, we also ended up becoming closer so I was learning a lot from him and I was very lucky to have worked alongside him 
as a 100% unpaid, no input intern to just go and watch the process of, of Ned. So I was on set for a couple of things. I was also there at the, you know, the initial screening before it was actually released and they do the focus groups and all that kind of stuff. So I was really attached to this film more so than any other Scottish film that I could think of just because I admire Peter Mullins so much. Uh, and, you know, I have done since he was an actor, like My Name is Joe is one of my favorite Scottish movies. Yeah, um, but also, you know, when he was Mother Superior in Train Spotting, and then I got to know him as a director and then as a friend as well. So he, he really inspired me. And I think if it wasn't for some of the things some of the things I learned from him, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. And so, yeah, it's it's a very special film for me. It's terrifying, but it's very special. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm so excited to talk to you about this because you have such an in-depth insight and, you know, first-hand experience on the film as well. It's amazing. Yeah, he's he's a really remarkable person in that he's so willing to give you his time. And I know, you know, we've we've all worked in in the industry in various kind of areas, whether it's been, you know, big films or small independent films or whether it's broadcasting or TV or whatever. And you'll find a lot of the people, especially when they get busier, they get more famous, they, they're not interested really in spending too much time. And that's completely all right. I mean, I understand that. You've got so much to do. You can't stop and have a, a chat with everyone who wants your time, but... He was so generous with his time and with his expertise and with his information about Hollywood. Oh, amazing! I was interested in. (laughs) I love it. Um, So, Laura, (laughs) what would you rate Ned's out of ten? That's a tough question. Cause um, I'm totally biased, obviously, and if. I mean, there's not really another film like it. There's there's been, there's a couple of movies that I've seen that are similar, but there's not really another film that I could compare it to. Uh, at least not that I've seen recently. I don't know. How about you guys? Have you seen a similar a similar movie to Ned's? Um, well, one of my notes actually compares it to a similar movie that has been released after Ned's, but I'm not going to okay. say what it is yet. Um, but for me, I felt the same the first time I seen this film. I was like, there's nothing else like it. Mm. And then, back then, I would have gave it maybe a 7 out of 10. But I've not really went back to it until doing this podcast. And mm-hmm. it's went up a point for me after after seeing it again um, more recently. So mine is an 8 out of 10. I think all the performances are really strong. And it's a film that feels like it's right on my doorstep. So... I guess yeah. other people won't feel like that who are not from Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the locations in that are 15 minutes away from where I now stay. <laughs> so that was quite frightening as well. Yeah, I. it's one of those films that as soon as I saw it, I was like to everyone, you have to see this film. Like, oh my God, have you not seen Ned's? Even though I had just literally watched it because <laughs> it had such an impact on me. So uh, I've given it a nine out of 10. I thought it was an absolutely fantastic film and I watched it again last night and you just notice so much more like each time yeah. you watch it um yeah. yeah it it does so much to me it's amazing amazing film see that's 
that's where I was going. I was really up there. I was nine and eight as well. And I thought, is it because I chose it? And I thought, is there, is it just me being, you know, a hundred percent objective and watching the movie again, or is it because I have such admiration for the the director and then the movie itself? Uh, but yeah, I would say eight, nine, eight and a half. I'll go eight and a half since we've got an eight and, a nine, eight and a half. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, so for any of our listeners who maybe haven't seen Ned's, here's a little synopsis for you. Quick look into the film. So it's set in 1970s Glasgow and it's encompassed by violent street gangs, neglectful parents, bullying teachers and a lack of positive role models. Um, and a studious but emotionally abandoned kid called John McGill follows in his older brother's footsteps. And first place, John McGill. You are a swat, Mr. McGill. 100 out of 100. I salute you. Are you related to Benjamin McGill? He's my big brother, sir. Are you going to turn out like him? No, sir. You're dead, wee man. The body of Christ. What do you want to do when you leave school? Go to university. Don't make me come up there! Who are you? Get out of this house and don't come back. So let's get started. We're going to go around in a circle. Um, with our positive points we've got three each and I'm going to kick us off my first positive point about this film I have so many but the one that really just I couldn't get away from was the journey that John goes on it's so turbulent and you know he starts off as this school kid who wants to be in the top class he wants to do well he wants that recognition and then I think falling on from wanting that recognition when he's maybe not getting it so much in school or he is getting a little bit, he goes into the recognition of his family's name and following in his brother's footsteps, getting the friends and stuff. And as soon as he he met that gang of friends, I thought, no, like, you're, you're just a nice wee boy. You want to do well at school. Like, don't do this to me this early in the film. And then, you know, things turn very rough and very violent and he finds his place and he seems comfortable with his friends And then obviously he ends up on the streets, you know, living in that sort of boiler room in the flat and then turning against his friends, then back to school. And then you think, okay, maybe he's turning his life around again. And then he goes on a kind of solo rampage against everyone. And it's heartbreaking. It throws so many emotions. Like I was up and down. It's literally a roller coaster. And that is just something that, totally gripped me throughout this film his journey is heavy (laughs) it's so heavy I like see for me it's it's the kind of it's it's a really mech are we allowed to swear on this podcast yes go for it (laughs) it's a re it's like a really really fucked up hero's journey Mm -hmm. it's like why why are you making this kid so messed up and that's the beauty of it because we see too many situations where the hero's journey is just so unrealistic and the thing that got me is, and I just, I completely agree with you, it was just so emotional. And like like you said, Ashley, like seeing this little kid 
seeing this wee boy just so damaged and then just fucking everything up and you think yeah this is real man this is this happens this is this is what happens to young men who are trying to find their place in the world and uh, yeah yeah it's really sad it's a really sad a difficult watch oh absolutely absolutely it's definitely not one to watch if you're needing a pick-me-up but it's it's something if you're wanting to (laughs) if you're wanting to feel something from a film that's like on this podcast so far, all my highest rated films have been ones that have just hit me and mm. made me really, really feel something. And that is exactly what this film does. And I think it's that strive for, you know, John just always wants to have that recognition to to feel, I don't know, some success or something. And when he doesn't get it, he tries something else. And, you know, most of the time it's not the right route for him, but he's constantly trying and he never... He never plays the victim either. He just is going after what he wants and mm. that's that's what makes it heartbreaking as well because a lot of the time you can tell like the fighting and stuff is not really what he wants. It's the overall, I don't know, recognition and feeling of belonging, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. My point is very similar, so I'm just going to go straight in with yeah. my point and it is just his whole character arc from beginning to end so at first he starts off as this quiet and timid kid but he's got this hostile family you've got the older violent brother who seems to have been kicked out and then there's the abusive drunken dad but john's been living with that all along so what is it it changes and what what turns him well you've got most of the teachers they seem to have no respect for him at all Um, even though John is clever he's polite, he's smart he always ends with John McGill, sir, or I'm Mm -hmm. supposed to be in the other class, sir but his name is tainted just because of his brother and John is wanting to be recognised by someone, anyone at all, and he's got this education he's one of the most clever people in his class, but he may as well not exist in that school uh, when he starts misbehaving, as soon as he does that, he starts to get noticed, he starts to get recognised, mm. and he starts to fight back with this, well, for a better word, attitude. But kind of what Ashley was saying is, he takes it further than Ned culture. he pushes it too far, like when he tries to um, throw the glass bottle at the police officer, and mm. the Neds, the young team, as we like to call it, they end up abandoning him completely. And that's when he kind of reaches this breaking point. And I would say it happens, it's a great scene actually, um, just before he beats up his dad, it's the scene where the two of them are standing in the, the staircase in the flat. And his dad, his drunk dad's at the bottom of the stairs and John's at the top. Right away in that imagery, John's the bigger man now. And his dad just stands and he's like, who are you? Who are you? It's so, so powerful. Um, But that's when, like, to me, he's no longer that wee boy. It's like a total power shift Mm. in that one scene. And then it's not long after that, he gets reinstated in the school. But he sees that boy that he, um, he attacked with a concrete slab. I mean, that's such a brutal scene. Mm. And itself then then his dad asks him to finish him off and i think it's then like john's been given this second chance but realizes 
how violent he's become, that his dad doesn't recognise him, who's a total dick in his own right. <laughs> so when his dad is almost hating him and wanting him to finish him off, and then he sees what he's done to that kid, I feel like he doesn't want to live anymore. He doesn't think that he deserves a second chance, and that's why he goes after the other Neds with, you know, the blades taped to his hands. Like, he wants to die, but he's saved by the the Cardi, the Cardi team, um, which isn't what he wants. I mean, that's my whole idea of his arc. I could be wrong, but that's what I take away from it. I think that's a really, really good, like, a really good explanation of what it is. I think, I mean, my point's completely different to this, but just to add on to what you're saying, Gary, mm-hmm. one of the things for me is when his, like, his dad's standing at the bottom of the stairs, it's like, who are you? And it's a very obvious, like, a visual power like the distance, the power is in John's hands. But then I think one of the turning points as well is when his his father, who was like all through his childhood, was growing up, he was this violent man, he was this man to be feared, he was a beast, like a monster. And then he says, finish me off. And you see that this monster is just a scared, weak coward. And I think John goes through that, especially when he comes home and he's going to, you know, he's going to finish his dad off, but then he just falls on top of him. And you see the little boy trying to hold his father. And it's just a really beautiful scene for me, like that that time when he comes in after being beaten up. And it's just the hopelessness in that scene is just, he's become his father. He's become everything he hates about his father. And he just, he's got no... I don't know, he's, maybe, he's, he's got no desire to still do that. And then after that is when we see him start going back to school, start paying attention. And right at the end, when he holds Kanta's hand, you know, Kanta's like now very tragically quite severely brain damaged. And that was because of John. And then you see him turn from, he's like, he's still this, this teenage boy. He's like, fuck off, get away from me, stop it. And mm-hmm. he stops, you know, he pushes Kanta's hand away like two or three times. And then at the end, he holds his hand. And you so you see the, the I don't know, he's, he's come out a stronger man. He's become a man. He's become a protector and a carer. And he's gone through that whole thing. He's become the father that his father never was, you know. And it's it's too little too late almost but it's it's also a really beautiful like beautiful scene just at the end it's well i don't want to jump into it too fast but is the ending any of your points no 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 okay let's let's just talk about it just now then because it's funny that that's how you uh, see the ending because i am i seen it very different and when he takes Kanta's hand and the two of them walk into basically the lion's pit i love it because I take away so many different things from that ending. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it that he's walking Kanta into the lion's den and taking his hand to be almost like this parent, this guardian, as they walk through the lions, or is it John's had enough of his life, and if the lions don't take him, then he's he's done something right here. Is it that he's walking into the this lion's pit and? If the lions do eat the both of them, well then, is he saying that Cantor's not got anything to live for because of what he done to him? He's already ruined his life, you know? I think there's so many things you can take away from that ending, and mm. I think that's why it's great. 
I think it's quite hard to place it because like you said it could it could be so many things but there was a sense of it was a sense of like releasing into whatever's going to happen is going to happen and I felt like he was just a little bit more at peace with his life I don't know if that was in a sort of you know what will happen happens I don't care anymore or I'm just going to let everything be I don't know they're just it felt like a calm ending and maybe that's just because the rest of it is so like violent and you know all go 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 um but yeah it was kind of just a it was like a walking off into the sunset, but it was exactly no sunset. What it, was, right? it was walking off through the lines, and so it's it's funny because there are so many ways to take it. And for me, I think walking off, he was he was the man, and and he was he decided to be good again. And I think that's what I took from it. He decided that he was going to be good again, and he's looking after Kanta. And when they're walking through the lines, for me, that was this kind of equilibrium. You know, the lions saw that he was no danger to them and he saw the lions were no danger to them. And it was this beautiful, it was a beautiful moment where everything existed in the world in in peace and in harmony. And it was just, it was just right. And okay, wellness and meditation, I know I'm woo-woo as hell, but <laughs> so bad, if you think about it, being able to walk into an area where the most, well, one of the most feared animals, one of the most feared beasts is waiting. And for you to be able to be at one with that, with that animal, it's just this beautiful kind of coexistence that we never see. So the beast is capable of horrible violence. And so we see the beast and the lions, but then we see John, who was also capable of horrible violence. So they they walk through that field as equals, and it's equals with each other and equals, you know, because they're both damaged and equals with the kind of the mighty power of nature, I guess, and, and of of existence. You know, everything is just kind of for one moment, for that moment, everything is just right and the way it should be. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like I seen it as if we survive walking through this, I've been given a second chance. If I if I don't survive, and Kanta doesn't survive, then we we had nothing left to live for almost. Mm. And then the fact that they do it is like a new beginning, and they are given that second chance, and it's not been tested by man but by animal. That's what I took from it. That actually goes on to my point. Um, my point, the the positive thing that I, I just loved about it so much is the banter because Glasgow is full of banter and you got that everywhere. And I, what's, what's the character's name? I pulled it up the other day. What's his name? It was the wee guy with the glasses. Oh. What's his name? Is it Wee T? Wee T. Christopher Wallace plays Wee yes. T. That's it. So Wee T. I loved. He's ridiculous. Every second word is an F word, and I'm like, that is so real. Fuck you, man. Fuck you. No fucking never. Fucking never. And it's so. He's such a Ned, and I mm. love it because it's so funny. And like, even the even the bits that are incredibly serious and incredibly sad and not supposed to be 
like laugh out loud funny. If you're from Glasgow or you're from Scotland and you grew up in a certain time, you're like, oh yeah, that's real because it's so real. It's not there's there's none of this show business kind of I don't know coating on it. It's so gritty. It's so real. So it's really really funny. Even when Benny and his friends have got like the bottles and they're wrapping it around Kanta's neck. It's funny. I mean, it's not yeah. funny at all, but it's just like, God, I remember. Do you remember those bottles? And so there's the, the all these beautiful touches, and I think they did that really, really well. They took the the tragic humor of being human and being in that environment and being a child and, and tra- having to go through puberty and all that stuff. And they took it and they made it serious, but they kept it, you know, human. They kept it really funny, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. it's hilarious yeah even like there's uh, Gary Lewis and it's after he breaks up Gary Lewis sorry as Mr Russell and he breaks mm-hmm. up the fight in the toilets the boys toilets and one of them has been stabbed and we as an audience have witnessed this but mm-hmm. he lines them all up against the wall and he says to them what's your name and before they even get a chance to say it he's like expelled what's your name <laughs> expelled <laughs> and he's going through it oh well that and it's hilarious because of his way of teaching and his way of um educating these boys but meanwhile one of them's bleeding out and then when he finally notices he's lost for words you know he's on this big rant and then he's like oh shit and um, what do i do here what, what, what come with me <laughs> come with me um come with me and son the, and there's the other scene where John McGill is late for school. Yes. And uh, <laughs> Mr. Russell, Gary Lewis, is waiting outside for him. And he's like, oh, how about I give you a lift? Up in my shoulders, boy. You know, and he's like banging him against the glass door. He's like, sorry, I'm not quite as fit as my old age. You'll have to make your own way there. And it's, you could take that scene out of this film and it would not change the story. But it's just that humorous light relief mm-hmm. that the film gives you every now and again. It goes yeah. on for that little bit too long where you just know, like, John is feeling so awkward. Like, what is going on in this scene? But it's perfect. It's so funny. You look tired, sir. Can yeah. I give you a coal carry? <laughs> <laughs> I thought even no. the parts at the summer school, um, when the leader of the group is saying, right, um, say your name when your illness is shouted out or something and then someone he's like <laughs> glass eye and then he's looking he's like oh that's a good one and good and one, you know and asking the guy how to spell whatever <laughs> yeah. has happened to him that he's whispered in his ear like that scene made me laugh out loud it was it was so funny and you know it's just all of these kids just feeling like oh, what is going on like what have we been made to come to yeah. But it is it is really funny and just light-hearted and there's not a lot of light-hearted parts to this, but when you do get those little gems, it really puts the contrast against the violence. Yeah. It's so funny. Oh, that's oh my god, that's one of my favorite bits actually when he makes him spell it Lord we make him spell it out and he's like, "Really? You're off a younger, you know?" And it's just it's just and you gets your mind wandering, "What has he uh-huh. got? What has he got?" How'd you spell uh-huh. that? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> it's 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 inappropriately hilarious. Yeah, completely. Yeah, completely. Um, so my second point, which we have already touched on a little bit, is the role of the dad. Peter Mullen is incredible in this, and I think 
it, it just totally baffled me how there was so much presence to his character when we first is it when we first see him and um he's sort of budged past john at the mm. table with that you don't you don't see his face you barely see his body but there's this sense of like everybody just does not want to set him off and you just the tension is just there straight away incredible and then obviously when he is really drunk and shouting from the bottom of the stairs it's terrifying it's awful it makes your mind go the wee girl's up there like John's up there when the mum comes down the stairs he is just awful like he it's Mm. just the epitome of the most awful abusive father figure that they could have and it just really really oh my god it made me feel for them and it didn't you know as you said earlier you know John has dealt with this through his whole life and that's not what changed him that's not what made him become the Ned but he has dealt with this and when he ticks and I do think that in Peter Mullen's character of the dad he is helpless and he doesn't know what to do but he always has this powerful presence that I think is his barrier and you just especially in those later scenes you see so much kind of unfolding from him and the helplessness and I sort of thought when he says finish me off I kind of saw that as like him hating his life as opposed to like I can't remember what what did you say it was um, more of like John you know hating John and was that what you said Gary I can't I can't remember but I remember it was more (laughs) about like what John was doing um but I saw it more of coming from him like I can't do my life anymore like I hate what I've become um a kind of admission then I just felt like that character had so much depth and we didn't really see him that much and I just thought that is incredible (laughs) acting like what an inspiration to so many actors to be able to hold a part like that so believably make I I don't think there's anyone who could watch this film and not hate that character like Mm. so deeply um and I just think that's like the work of an absolutely brilliant actor for me I I agree yeah and also a director because one thing I like about um Peter Mullen in this is he could have easily you could have easily had more of that character in this but he chooses not to even though he's directing it and he's wrote it he's kind of wrote just enough of that character Mm. for for him to exist and have a presence and there's an old Alfred Hitchcock saying where um if a bomb goes off at a table it's a surprise but if you as the audience member witness that bomb before it it builds tension and this film kind of does the opposite we are introduced to the family sitting at the table and then the dad comes in and right away you feel the tension you know but even though we've not witnessed anything this dad has done at this point but as soon as he comes into that room we feel tense watching it and i think it's because the camera stays at the same level as the table mm-hmm. so we only see his arm and his uh, his body when he's trying to get into that drawer behind john's chair they look tense so then automatically we feel tense and i don't know if it's because the room that they're sitting in we all remember being in small flats like that as a family or whatever and you know the tables kind of 
you can just sit in your chair. It's almost at like Christmas when you bring out the Christmas mm-hmm. table and it doesn't quite fit in the room and someone needs to get past you and like it's like that but more aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think some of the parts to that character is how everyone else reacts. I think the first time when we see um, him at the bottom of the stairs shouting and you know Elizabeth doesn't come out of her room and I don't think does John wake up? I don't think he wakes he's up. Reading, at... I think he's reading oh, his book, isn't he? And yeah. just kind of mm. tries to drown it out. Yeah. And daughter comes into his room. Mm. Yeah, but it's it's not... They don't come to the stairs in the first time, so you know that this is something that they live with and that's their normality. And yet, it it's just awful. And then we see later on when um, the dad character does tell Elizabeth to cover her ears and then says, finish me off. You know, he is protective of her. And you think, like, I don't understand that because you're the, you're so horribly, horribly abusive. And then you're protecting your daughter from hearing um, you say, finish me off. Like, you think, how does that work in his head? But obviously that gives us a, an insight into, like, the turmoil that's in his own head. Um, so, oh, God, I just thought that performance was incredible I think one of the things for me as well I'm going back, going back to the point you made Gary about the, the initial scene where we're introduced to that character and you don't see him you just see the atmosphere that he creates with his presence and I think that's one of the, the most important things about this character is that we never see him being violent apart from when he's shouting at John's mom and he's like get down here fat cow fat slut and and that's obviously that's the words are violent, but we never see what he's done. We never see him doing it, and we have to imagine what's gone on in the past and what he's capable of. And we imagine that through the reactions and the mm-hmm. of the characters and the and the dynamic in the household. And it's it's re- I think it's really important that they didn't show any violence because then it becomes a little bit more gratuitous and it's not as scary you know like you said Gary about the bomb going off you know when when we look at a donut we've got the anticipation of how it's going to taste how it's going to I say that because I'm eating a donut right now (laughs) but we've got this anticipation factor and it's you know as soon as as soon as we are witness to what we think or what we expect is going to happen, then our our minds can almost relax a little bit because we know what's happened. So we've got an answer to that. It's like when we've not sneezed a full sneeze. It's always this kind of waiting. And then once you sneeze, then you've got some relief. But we never get that relief with this character. And I think that the first time that we actually feel compassion, or for me personally, I felt compassion towards this character when he sees John after John falls asleep underneath the the statue of Jesus and then dances with Jesus and then stabs Jesus (laughs) which was one of my favorite scenes because it was so weird um is when he comes over and he finds John and he's like get up go home your mother's worried and you see that this monster is actually a human and he's Mm -hmm. like finish me off he's I agree with you Ashley he's just so done with his life and he doesn't, it's almost like he doesn't want to be that person, but he's just so done. Mm-hmm. And and you, you see a more human side to him further along in the film. And I think it's good that we never see him committing violence because then we wouldn't be able to have that 
that flicker of hope, that flicker of, you know, maybe things can get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a terrifying character all around. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Gary, what was your second point? Um, so it's basically about how this film is a slow burn. Like, you know where this film's heading. You're watching, waiting for it to get there. And by a, when I say waiting, I don't mean, like, you're waiting because you're bored. You're just you're along for the ride, so to speak. But I think this film came 10 years too early, in my opinion. And as I said at the start of the episode, watching this film, it, can, it reminded me of another film, and that was Joker. So... Mm. The circumstances for John just get worse and worse with his home life, the society around him, and basically how he's treated. Um, you've got the rich, the upper class. Um, you've got the friend who's got the you know the posh mum who stops John from coming over to play with uh, her son. You've got the scenes where John finds the knife at school in the toilets, and then he takes it home and starts examining it, and then starts to like play with it and get a feel for it which reminded me of that scene in The Joker where he finds the handgun and he starts playing with it and accidentally fires it. But in both films, you've got this protagonist who's basically in this shitty society surrounded by this shitty people, basically this grimy, grungy society. And both of them sort of lose their mind as well. You've got this scene where John's living in the boiler room and then he goes up onto the roof and pretends to be this captain of a ship and then later on there's the scene that Laura said where he starts to see, he starts to hallucinate Jesus and starts to fight with Jesus and stab Jesus Um, and I feel like there is so much you know and John almost gets this following at one stage from the other Neds who then save him and you've got this following in the Joker towards the end as well where society kind of puts him on this pedestal. I'm not saying John has done that as well, but both films have, you know, these protagonists who um, have got a shit home life and then both films have a father who's not really there for them. But then they start to find this other world and start to move into that and then from that there's their downfall. So I feel like if this film came out now, especially with everything that's going on in the world how different parts of society are treated I think this film would have more of a following out with Scotland sorry I rambled there on that point but you get the gist (laughs) (laughs) no definitely it's still even though you know obviously it's set in the 70s and everything it's like it's a timeless film I would say you know there's Mm. always parts of that film that you can relate to or you know I'm sure when everyone was younger you've seen like groups of kids from your school or whatever fighting or chasing each other or what I mean I was like a scaredy cat so I didn't do that but definitely saw people you know doing stuff like that and there's just yeah I wonder how relatable it is for people who are not Scottish Mm. I'd I'd love to talk to so if you're not Scottish and you're listening to this let us know please email in because that'd be good to start that conversation too. Yeah, I think one of the funny things for me is that whenever, I mean, living in Korea, so every movie I watch now has subtitles, whether it's English subtitles or Korean subtitles. So something that I found incredible, like just just bizarre is when I see Scottish films subtitled with English and I'm like, really? 
but I forget <laughs> that people don't understand what the hell we're saying half the time. Like, obviously, right now we're speaking really clearly, but if we're, you know, if you're a Ned and you're in a fight, you're going to be saying all the and no one's got any, no one's got a clue what you're saying. So I think once you know, I mean, even past the language barrier or the dialect barrier. Um, I think it's a really relatable thing. Like it's, and it's so funny that actually goes on to my point, actually, because I used to live in the Gorbals, and so from where I stayed, I was in the New Gorbals, and you know the bridge, the, the New Gorbals up like flats are there, and then you've got the bridge that goes across to Brigton, and that bridge used to be teeming with young team. And you would have the Brickton young team on this side and you would have the Gorbals young team on this side. And so the Gorbals would run forward and they'd throw stones. And, and I could watch this from my window. I wasn't involved. I was just watching the <laughs> carnage unfold. And then, so they would run forward and then they'd run out of stones. And then the Brickton young team would come up after them and they'd throw stones and the, the Gorbals would run back. And I was like, God, this is like, of course, Glasgow gang culture was a lot worse in the 70s. But I'm just like, God, this is this is a real thing. I've seen this. I've seen this in so many places that I've lived. I mean, when I was at school, I've seen this happen. And when I was, you know, working and living in Glasgow, I saw this happen on my doorstep, basically. So I think it's a really relatable movie in, in the sense that violence and rivalry and this kind of tribalism I mean, we see it. We see it in politics. Well, specifically, what we see, I guess, is definitely America. But it's this tribalism, and it's like we are this team, and if you're not on our team, you're the enemy. And it's just different variants of of how we approach that that otherism. And I, I think that's so relatable. I mean, it's one of the most kind of intrinsic values of being a human being is is having the capability of horrible horrible violence and it's scary because you know can you remember when back in the day you'd be like in your bedroom and then you'd hear a gang outside and you're like i hope they're not hanging about outside my house and it was it was one of those like the fear of violence is such a real thing and and so that was my point is is that it is really relatable and that it reminded me so much of real life in terms of how you see fights and specifically I mean I don't have any other reference except living in in Scotland but when you see young team going for it they go for it they don't care and it's and I just think why why is that a thing why is violence such a sport you know it's funny as well because you're saying that we fear violence which is so true but at the same time we're amazed by it because I remember sitting at my bedroom window and you'd hear like a glass bottle smash and then you would run to the curtains as a kid and you would just sit there behind your curtains watching and there was one time I was staying at a friend's house and we heard like the yelling oh you get back here and all that and we ran over to the curtains and opened them and there was like three people running and there was this guy behind no top on very much like this film running with like either a glass bottle or something like that chasing after them and then, this is the weird part, like maybe 15 minutes later, we've seen the same guy walk back and all his friends were just hugging him. And it was this, like they were embracing each other about what they had just done. And you just watch and go, how? Why? It's crazy that this film was set in 
the 70s. Mm. And I would say right up to late 90s, early 2000s, Ned culture in Glasgow was very much still a thing. Now, I would say not so much. Like You don't even really see anyone with a tracksuit on anymore because <laughs> that was very much the costumes and stuff were very much part That's of it as so well. That's so disappointing, Gary. I'm so sad. To, <laughs> that That is why I was coming back to Glasgow next year, not <laughs> cancelling my tickets. Well, it's funny, actually, because now there's this idea of a tracksuit when you see one there's almost a nostalgia feeling, you know? And you're actually like, oh, I'm being nostalgic about a group of Neds like trying to fight each other and Lacoste trackies or Kappa trackies or whatever else Wait, it would have been. do people still wear, wear Burberry? Are people no. allowed to wear Burberry yet? Um, Burberry's died down in Ned culture over here, yeah. So it's you, you see now others wearing it once again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so people are back to wearing Burberry. Okay, that's fine. Duly <laughs> yeah. noted. Yes. <laughs> I think it's like, I'm sure there's like some sort of football casuals and stuff. I don't want to say anything wrong, but that wear Burberry as a kind of, yeah. I don't know, uniform. Really? I don't know if it's a uniform, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as their colours almost. Yeah, uh-huh. I have seen, yeah. a, seen a few from working in some pubs. <laughs> oh, well, maybe maybe that's more in Edinburgh then, I'm guessing, than Glasgow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I that's think, so interesting. Yeah, so I think that's... One thing as well that may have divided like the Ned groups up because where where I grew up it was like Cardi as Cardonald Young Team or you had Y Pen which was Young Penalty etc. And I think what might have divided up the Ned groups might have been this football casual thing that came after it with like the likes of Green Street and Football Factory. So it was more about being in those types of teams and groups rather than mm. just who was living on your doorstep basically mm-hmm. we see like see in the movie sweet 16 i've not seen it for a long time but was sweet 16 not did that not have a similar plot line as well where he gets involved with the the wrong crowd and it's just because of the area he's in right yeah and it's I'm the sure neighborhoods it yeah and it's the neighborhood and that's another thing like one of the things i loved about it is when he's running away from these you know this gang he chases them all the way into there territory and then he's like "Uh oh because they're all fucking there and then he jumps into this woman's house and she's got no idea and she's she said would you believe that they're all doing this all these young boys doing that it's terrible out there don't you guys there and she's saying that to her son and obviously her son was one of the neds out there causing all the fights and it, it also just i love that bit about it because it also just shows how disconnected people are from that culture you know, they're like, my son would never do that. My son's not doing that. He was like, I was at a friend's house. And you're like, no, you weren't. You were trying to kill John. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> But at the same time, he could be the John from, from his team, you know. So you see these young men, mostly young men, who are kind of failed by either their parents or their, you know, the system and end up in that same situation and it's just like this little repeated pattern this little group and it depends on where you are and that's the team you join and then you do what they do that's again not to try and compare them too much but that was another point where after watching it after watching joker was his mum is absolutely clueless on his downfall you know, and it's the same here where when John runs in well, John's parents at the start are kind of clueless about who he's hanging about with and what he's doing. 
and they get a real shock when the Ned's trying to charge into his house when he's eating dinner. Mm. But I think they're more shocked that John is keeping a knife hidden in case this happens, you mm. know? And the same with Joker. His mum has no clue that he's went and shot two of Wall Street's young pups on the subway. Um, again, as Laura said, it's about um, tough upbringings and where they sit in society and how they're treated that can be the kickstart of all this. I'm not saying everybody who has a tough upbringing or a poor upbringing ends up like this. I mean, I wasn't from the the most upper class or middle class area. I was like from, well, I could have ended up being in one of these gangs, let's put it that way, from where I grew up. So Yeah, same, um, bonus council estate. Yes, exactly. And I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. My um, third point is actually about the chase scenes. Um, they're incredible. They're so exciting. You don't know what's going to happen. And it's like that, that thing you said, Gary, you're kind of mesmerised by the violence and what's about to happen and how violent are they going to be? Like, who's going to get it this time? Um, and that chase scene where John does run into the women's house, I loved it because there's no music behind it. All you hear are the footsteps and the footsteps and then the sort of distant shouting, you know, at the start, John's friends are shouting, like, what are you doing, you know? like why you run after them something like that along those lines and then we just hear the footsteps and the footsteps and he keeps going and he keeps going and I think that's his first taste for the well the first, biggest taste for the chase and the excitement and the adrenaline rush that comes from that and then just shooting into that woman's house like I think he's a little bit frightened of oh my god like what have I done but also he is you know terrified of he knows what these guys can do because if it was him and his mates he'd do exactly the same to them so I loved that first one setting us up without the music and then obviously the epic uh, chase scene and the fight on the the bridge where John it's, it's he slits um, the guy's throat doesn't he and then hides a knife um, and they play the song is um, oh, what is it I always call it heaven but it's not uh, cheek to cheek yeah, they play mm. cheek to cheek and it's just like this is their heaven this is what they relish in and the fight is huge and it's violent but it's made to be this like dance it's it's like a dance piece like watching it everything is perfectly timed and there's something going on everywhere and you don't know where to look and then when everybody scatters or is being chased that adrenaline carries through the screen so so well i just think it it's really there's a lot of moments in this film that are really close up as you said like with the table or really close in on John and what his he's feeling or rejection and then these vast scenes of chases and fights are just epic and they're exciting and I loved them and you'd you don't want to love violence like that it's awful it's 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 terrible what they're actually doing to each other but the big scenes are just you can't stop watching them and I I would I would say like bigger scenes like that I'd quite like more of them even the one towards the end where he's got the the knives strapped to his hands it is epic and there's just this sense of like power that expands and it's just taking over whoever's coming into contact with them so yeah loved the chase and fight scenes yeah it's it's funny you say that that's his first taste for it when he runs into their um, their scheme, so to speak, mm-hmm. and 
it's their form of addiction and it's very much like Begbie and Trainspotting. Mm-hmm. He's addicted to violence and mm-hmm. it is, it's this chase for violence. That's what they're going out for. That's what they live for. And it's, it's what they want. But it is for anyone, I guess, who wouldn't know or doesn't know about like the Ned culture and how they stick to their own schemes and don't really go out of that. And if you do go into another scheme, you take your group with you. I think this is John's way of learning that because mm-hmm. He runs across that bridge and everyone else just comes to a halt. And it's not mm. until maybe he's been running for another 30, 40 seconds he realises he's alone. Mm. And growing up in Glasgow, most of the audience would know what's coming next, but he doesn't. So then when it does happen, we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can really see that he's still actually, even though he's got, you know, X amount of kilos heavier and he's grown up, he's still that wee boy. He's been very sheltered. He was at a Catholic school. He was going to church with his mom every Sunday. He was in the choir. He was given out, you know, he was doing communion. So he had a really sheltered upbringing. He was a good boy. And then he's thrown into this just completely different world, just completely different culture, these different relationships, a different dynamic. And he has no idea how to navigate that. And he's just doing what he thinks is the right way. And then he runs in and he's like, whoops. And <laughs> yeah, you you feel for him because he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't belong there. And I think that's why it's so difficult to watch. Like you were talking about earlier, Ashley, like you just don't want him to be in that situation because he was such a a good boy and I'm I'm a mother my son is seven years old and you feel it's a different kind of emotion watching it now as a mom compared to what I experienced when I watched it for the first time because it's just this horrible sense of loss when he goes and hangs about with that group and I understand now why mothers around the world say don't hang about with that boy he's a bad influence <laughs> because you're terrified that that kind of stuff is going to go on it's mm-hmm. it's so scary completely so scary. and I think we see that with Julian's mum like when we're when we're watching it you think she's horrible like why is she she's doing this bitch. like yeah. oh absolute bitch like he's he's he didn't mean to break the the record player glass or whatever and he's he's come to give him football but it's like he's being nice he's being his friend and you know we should be able to see past like people's where they're from or their name or whatever but she doesn't and you're so right she's she's protecting her son because her son doesn't turn out like that we see him later on the bus with his friend and they're just trying to ignore John they're just trying to get on with their day get off the bus and that John's life is the complete opposite and that's like it's like the fork in the road you know one of them went one way and one of them went the other um and you're so right it is a protective thing but when I was watching it I was like she's horrible like that is just awful but do you know how they made her even worse is because she was English and she was like yes you probably shouldn't don't come round here again okay okay and so she was very posh and that is everything against you know the protagonist John is just not posh he's not got money he's not Mm -hmm. from money his mum's a a nurse part-time at the royal and you know he's very smart but he's not posh and I think that's why we hate her so much is because who's this snob who's got all this money and who's got a son called Julian what kind of name is fucking Julian like so we we get all this anger towards the character because we're so attached to 
the goodness of John's character mm -hmm. before he turns, you know, bad, yeah. I guess. And we are sorry to any Julians who are listening as well. You know? Listen, absolutely. Like, Julian is a great name. It's a really great name. But see, in that context, they've made that mm -hmm. character, that whole, like, the, the contrast, they've made it so perfectly different. They've polarised it so that you, you almost, even though you like Julian at first, you kind of don't like him because he's, I mean, he's nice, but he's like, he's that kid. And yeah. if you if you grew up in a scheme, if you grew up in a council house or a council flat, I grew up next to drug dealers. We would have people banging on the door. My mom would answer asking, "Where's Eck?" And she'd be like, "Cause she was a single mom." We had like, and so she'd be like, "He lives over that side." Sorry, sorry, hen, sorry, hen. And they would say, "Sorry, sorry, sorry." And then you know the door would close, and two seconds later we'd hear, "Ba ba 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 ba." Eck, open the door. So you grow up in a uh, an environment that is inherently poor and full of neds mm -hmm. you're kind of you're kind of conditioned to believe that the other side is you know posh snobby is is julian's mom there's even this scene where as a, a tennis racket john mcgill picks yeah. up in julian's bedroom and I think Julian says, "Oh, I don't even know why I've got that. It's just, it's just there, as if it's nothing, as if he's got all these luxuries that he doesn't even know why he's got it." You know, he'd, mm. Um, mm -hmm. so even at that, you're like, you "Bastard!" And I don't even like tennis or whatever it was, you know. But I'm like, "So I don't have a tennis racket sitting about my room." Mm -hmm. it's so and then it's funny. just, I know, and it's so sweet when John's like, "Oh, you can have my football boots. Like, I'm getting my Provi check. I'm going to buy new ones or whatever," and he just is just a kind wee boy and he just mm. wants to enjoy his life and make friends and then obviously Julian's mum literally interrogates him in the garden about his life and upbringing and that's just such an uncomfortable scene for me to watch and he's just sort of twirling the biscuit in his hand and giving these one word answers and I thought Julian's um Martin Bell's performance there was really really good um just sort of sitting and feeling awkward and there's that sense of you know his mum's done this before to his friends like this is like the standard interrogation that anyone goes through before they can be Julian's friend yeah yeah oh crazy is it is is she English I mean am I getting that right she's got an English accent or she's yeah, she got a posh she's English right yeah it's it sounds like an English accent yeah sort of RP RP, yes. And yeah. what does your mum do? I guess I and she she you know expects that she works in a dry cleaners and yeah, or a supermarket stuff. or yeah. or something. She she suggests to him as if he yeah. wouldn't know like where his mum works. Yeah, very strange. Oh, Gary, so what's annoying. your third point? Um, to be fair, we've kind of spoke about everything. And my third point, it was just. <laughs> locations and yeah. like the Ned culture so as mm. I said like all these locations are now maybe 10-15 minute walks from my house like the club where they have the party scene um, the cemetery <laughs> the school well, that's where I walk my dog it's really weird and at the time of filming I was um, at Cardinal College so I used to walk past this school when they were filming there as well and even the bridge, the iconic bridge in the film, like, is so close to home. So watching it, it was intense. Um, just one other thing, I guess, was that first scene where 
John runs into the the other estate. I love how it's filmed where it all goes quiet and then you see all these Neds just charge mm. over the hill, like racing towards them. And it reminded me, I don't know if both of you have seen it, but at the start of 28 weeks later, where mm, Robert mm-hmm. Kalil is running and the infected just pour over the hill towards yeah. him. It, it gave me a reminiscence of that. Mm-hmm. Gary, I'd love to know, um, just saying like that you have lived near the locations and stuff when you were watching this film like for me when I watched that Eurovision film and they're driving up the Royal Mile and I'm like the SEC is not there like and that takes <laughs> over my head I'm like that doesn't make sense you can't get to like that arena at the top of the Royal Mile or whatever did that happen for you or is it all like you know correct and where they'd be going I mean it's not all correct and like like John runs right and then appears two streets to the left and stuff like that but that's fine one thing it does stand out for me and again i don't know if it was used as a club in the 70s but that almost community hall where they're all dancing and having the beer and stuff i've walked past that maybe about 200 times in my life and it's always just this rundown shack so i could never see that as this club but again Mm -hmm. It might have been used as a community hall back in the day, and that's why Pierre Mullins yeah. used it. I don't know if you know where, where that is, Lauren. Were you on set on those scenes? No, I was... So, you know, when he jumps out the back of the bus, I was there. <laughs> I was also there for filming as uh, his auntie... Oh, what's her name? Beth? His auntie yeah. Beth is uh, with him, and they're going into the building. And just uh, just a few other kind of cutaways and things like that of like local buildings so I was we were in the south side filming some you know Glasgow's got really gorgeous architecture so we were just filming some various scenes of people going in and out of buildings and um, I think it was either supposed to be hospitals or schools and yeah yeah, just the the bus scene as well. My final point would be you kind of touched on it earlier when uh, you you mentioned the the fight scene on the bridge talking about the song Cheek to Cheek. I loved the soundtrack. I thought the soundtrack was just expert. It was amazing. It worked. It was, you know, it it brought the mood up when the mood was really heavy. It took you to places that you didn't expect the movie was going to take you. And it was just, I mean, such really, really good songs anyway, but it was done in such a way, like, for example, speaking about, you know, the, the scene where the community hall and they're all you know, they've all got platformed heels on and, <laughs> you know, and you can't hear what anyone's saying. It's just music on, but you still see the story unfolding. And it was things like that that I just thought, yeah, the soundtrack is so important. And it's funny, one of the, one of the, I mean, I'm, I've worked in radio for many, many years in one form or another since I was about 19 years old. And now I'm a radio host and programming production team and so sound for me is so so important and seeing the way that they used sound and they used silence that that was just i loved it i I thought the soundtrack was phenomenal yeah and that's it that's my that's i'm done that's all cheek to cheek reminds me so much of the green mile it's used mm. in such an emotional, sad way in the Green Mile mm-hmm. to then see it being used as the backing track to two group of Neds trying to stab each other on a bridge. It's almost 
so ironic that it makes it funny. But yeah, as yeah. Ashley said, that is them like it's almost a dance mm-hmm. to them, you know. They'll throw the glass bottles and stones, then um switch to the other group throwing the glass yeah. and the stones mm-hmm. and then they get closer and closer, then they step back from each other and it does become this dance, yeah. Yeah. So anyone got any like nitpicks or things they didn't like about this film? Um one thing I would say is I only realised this time that it's roughly 25 minutes into the film before there's the time jump where John is older. Mm-hmm. And the first time I watched that, I thought it was young, small John for about 10 minutes. But there's actually a lot more of him as a child than what I realised. Yeah. I actually really loved that part um, when one of Benny's friends grabs John because John's like, Have you, do you know Benny McGill or or whatever, and he grabs him, and he's like, you don't know if I was a way to stab him, or whatever, sort of teaching him the lessons there straight away in front of the shop. I thought that was a really good scene. I really I really liked that. Like, each time I've watched it, I've always thought, I'm glad they've kept that in. I also, this time watching it, there's the dark scene where John Gill's, like, taping, slowly taping mm-hmm. the knife to his hands, and this time watching it, I couldn't help but laugh, because I wondered... Did he do that, then realise that he'd forgot to put on a t-shirt? And then couldn't get a t-shirt on? <laughs> I think that was part of his power, like... Yeah. Um, and the only other thing for me, and it's a really small nitpick, but I would have liked to have seen more of what it would be like for a female to grow up mm. in this culture. You know, I know it's usually all boys, but... I would like there was a few females hanging about with the boys and I would like to have seen their perspective at least on what was going on. Yeah, I think I think it's like I would agree with you. I would like to see Ned's but female version, but I think not having the girls as the like the the girls are just vehicles to get to the next part, you know, they're they're not really important. And as, you know, a, a proud feminist I'm not one to say that the girls' roles aren't important, they're very important, but I think if we'd seen much more of the the girls in this, we would have lost some of the, the, the pure anger and the rage and the violence because it's the characters that we're working with, like John going from so pure and innocent to this monster, and Benny is already a monster, and his father is a monster. So we've got this high kind of testosterone, alcohol, drug-fueled, violence-fueled scene. And I think it it really works well. I think it works. The the girls being there, I think, give it enough of a, a realistic point of view without having to take away from the story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. The only part for me, and Laura, I know you said it was one of your favourite scenes, but the the Jesus hallucination, I don't know. I would have liked to see a different take on that. I felt like I was just like, what is going on? And I know it's a hallucination, so of course it's meant to make you feel like that. But I thought it was maybe a little bit too much for me. It took me it out of it a little movie. bit. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe... I, I totally get what both of you mean, and maybe it would have helped if there was more, um, there was more time spent on him sniffing the glue before it to show that he's hallucinating because it's so yeah. fast, and a lot of people might not understand what's happening in that. Uh-huh. Mm. I missed it the first time. I, I had no idea. 
Because <laughs> suddenly in, Jesus just came down and was like, yeah, what's happening? Well, I, yeah. I, I thought it was just some sort of like weird drug thing that I knew nothing about, like something to do with inside of Chris packets. Because <laughs> when it cuts away to the, the glue um, tubes, I just never caught on. I must have just like not been focusing on what that was. I thought it was just like a shot of the ground. Ashley's thinking, he's getting a real buzz off those salt and vinegar crisps. <laughs> Tell you what, I would sniff a bag of salt and vinegar right now. I would do it. <laughs> I thought, oh gosh, it's strange. But yeah, that was my only, my only nitpick. I love this film. Has anyone's rating out of 10 changed since we've spoken about it? Um, I would maybe push up to an 8.5 actually. Uh, because I'm looking at my notes and there's not really any nitpicks, so I'll go up to an 8.5. Yeah. yeah. Laura, what about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to move. I was 8.5, I'll go to a 9. Yeah, nice. I'm going to stick with a 9 as well. Amazing. And yeah. we will take a short break now and we'll be back with our quick fire quiz round, fun fact of the day, and of course our short film recommendations. Excuse me. Where's it from? Do you know Benny McGill? Benny McGill? Give me a minute, Paul. Yeah. Who are you? I'm a kid, brother. What are you? Oh, you're no. Uh-huh. Any of my girls, me brother, is a smart wee cunt. How do you know, no? I'm not on my way to go stab fuck at him right now. And how do you know I want to take it out on you? See that there? That's a fucking blade. Know what that's used for? For gutting daffy fucking boys like you, you wee cunt. Luckily for you, however, I'm a fucking good guy. Me and Benny are good pals. I'm Fergie. All right? Fucking hell, you're all right with me, me, man. So, Laura, hope you're ready. We're going to come in with our quick-fire quiz round where Gary and I will ask you five questions each about okay. the film. About the film? Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. I'm going to go first. So, my first one is, what does John's mum work as? She is a nurse. Yes. What year was the film released? 2008. It's 2010. Damn it. <laughs> How much um, is John's provy check that he gets? £25. Yes. Who played young John McGill? Oh, what's his name? It's Forrest, and his other, his brother was in it as well. Forrest. Greg Forrest. Yes. Yes. Uh, what causes John to hallucinate? We've just spoken about it. Buzzing gas at a crisp bags. <laughs> <laughs> um, when is the film set? Nineteen seventy-two. Yep, I was. I just had nineteen seventies, so I'll give you that. <laughs> what does John throw at the police officer at the park? An empty glass bottle. Yes. How much money does John need to get his brother out of custody? Fifteen pounds. Yes. Uh, my last question is what is Ned's score on Rotten Tomatoes? Ooh, 8.1. It is 94%. Oh, did it? I don't watch, I don't do Rotten Tomatoes, so I didn't even know it was a percentage. 8.1. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> 8.1, um, not even the same system, Laura. Move on. Okay. <laughs> and what is Benny McGill's friend called who etches Canter's name into the fence? Oh, the one with the high heels. What's his name? Fergie, that's it. Fergie. 
well done nice Nice. so we're all gonna round off with our fun fact of the day love talking all things neds but let's go a little bit crazy gary hit us up with a fun fact of the day okay so the word ned supposedly dates back to the 1930s and it was first published in a book in 1962 so crime writer Bill Knox referred to stolen cars turning up after having been taken by a bunch of Neds. And that's supposedly oh. the first written um, use of it. Nice. My fun fact of the day is one that I've been thinking about <laughs> since I learned it, right? If Pinocchio was to say, my nose will, will grow now, it would be a paradox because if it didn't, then it would be a lie which would make his nose have to grow which would make it true, so his nose shouldn't be growing, and it would just keep going round, and I can't stop thinking about that. <laughs> that is now going to be stuck in my head as well. This is going to be something great. that sends you to the doctor for some sort of sleeping pills. <laughs> Sorry, I've been up all night thinking about Pinocchio's paradox. Doctor, I can't sleep. Just going to give something for the pain. It's ridiculous. Honestly, I, I thought... Well, a fact. I don't know where I found it, but... Well, (laughs) my favourite fact, like, Gary, you spoke about it earlier, 28 days later. uh, 20 weeks weeks later. I absolutely love zombie movies. I love everything about zombies. And um, did you know about the the zombie fungus? Did you know about that? No. No? No? Okay, there's a zombie fungus. It's called Ophiocordyceps. And it's, it's, that's the kind of plant name, but it's called the zombie ant fungi. And what happens is, fung, it's like, it's just like, it's like a fungus, right? But it's a parasite. So what happens is it's eaten or it attaches to ants and this it's only ants and it attaches to the ants. And when it gets inside the ants brain, it can then control them. So it basically because it's like look at your face Ashley I'm so sorry <laughs> I'm so basically what happens is the this fungus can recognize the brain of certain ant species and then it's got this this chemical cocktail that it releases into the ant's brain but it's only in this one certain type of ant so then it can manipulate the behavior so what it does is when it takes it basically takes over the ant's brain it forces the ant to climb up to the top of a tree and then it like it makes it bite a leaf which is poisonous to that ant so it kills the ant the ant falls off the tree and then the fungus grows out so another spore grows out like the back or the head of the ant mm-hmm. and then so that it can inf- infect other ants so that it can you know propagate keep going, keep going. Oh, that's awful <laughs> horrifying right horrifying. see it's funny because ashley's like that's horrible i'm like that's so cool <laughs> yeah it's awful. i love it it's disgusting and i'm so excited by that, that i mean that's a thing in nature that ex- that's a real thing mm. like how terrifying and cool is that yeah yeah <laughs> wow <Love it. laughs> that's my fun, so... fun fact <laughs> <laughs> definitely um so to round off the show we're all gonna name you our short film of the week that we'd recommend you to watch gary is it another animation it is not it is not an animation (laughs) so this one is called the clue and it's about a young girl that finds a mysterious note with an invitation to go on a treasure hunt and she unravels a mystery along the way 
So that's all I'm going to say. But it's Ooh. it's 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 lovely. It's a lovely wee cute film. Nice. So. Um, my short film that I'm going to recommend is called Cautionary Tales. Now this film. It had me. I was like, what's going on here? Like, I just don't understand it. And then something clicked and it made the film hilarious. Um, And this sounds weird, but you have to watch it, right? It's the story of people with certain disfigurements who get together in a support group. Once it clicks, it will be a funny film. It's not funny beforehand, but then when it clicks, you're just like, oh my God, this is good. (laughs) So I've got a link to that, which I'll put in the show notes. And yeah. Amazing film. Laura, what about you? I love that description. It's not funny until it is. It's kind of like how I felt about The Office. I I don't want to give it away. (laughs) Um, Okay, so my film that I want to uh, recommend is actually by my friend, my friend Tim Paul, who's uh, a film director here in Busan. And he's, he's from Canada, but this movie is called, or this short is called Cosmonaut. And it's a, a dreamy character study about a lonely Cambodian exchange student who struggles to connect, to connect with the world in the only way she knows how, by leaving it. So, yeah, that's my... I'll give you the link as well so you can watch that. But it's Definitely. it's just so simple, very beautifully shot and just sad and nice. Sounds great. <laughs> Yes, we'll definitely put all those links in the show notes for you guys. Um, So, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been amazing to talk to you. And thank you for bringing Ned's as well. What a film uh, to dive deep into. Can you tell our listeners where they can keep up with you and what you're doing, your work? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And can I just say it's been such a pleasure to, to chat with you guys and to hear your insights. And I hope that this podcast goes far and wide and everybody listens because it's been really fun. So thank you so much. Um, if you want to catch up with me, you can find me on all the regular places, you know, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Um, you can also go to befm.or.kr and you can find my radio show or wellme, w-e-l-l-m-i.net and you can find my website. Uh, but apart from that, you know, that's it really. Not not, not much. I'm not very interesting. <laughs> you are, you are. Um, and as always, I'm Ashley Sutherland and you can find me at, at Ashley Sutherland on Instagram or at Ash Sutherland 4 on Twitter. And I'm Gary, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at HewittGPro. And thank you so much for listening. If you are loving the podcast or have any comments or want to jump in on the conversation, please email us at choosefilmpodcast at hotmail.com. You can find our social media at filmchoose on Twitter or at choosefilmpodcast on Instagram. And join us next week when we carry on our Scottish theme with our guest host, Rebecca Riddle. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Goodbye.